I was shown 10 years ago what was going to happen in 2020 to 2025. It's right on track. It's right on track. All of these things started happening from having these visions, having Galactic Federation of Light, Archangels, you name it. They started coming to me to, to sort of help me understand what's going to happen. You know, one of the things that I believe, um, based on what I understand now, is that we do. We come back time and time again. We come back as a mother, the father, the daughter, so that we can experience the wholeness of this dimensionality. And then we graduate. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. My guest today is Kevin Westrich. Kevin is a spiritual teacher, author, and founder of Center of Soulful Guidance. We're going to talk about Kevin's story going from U.S. Navy to corporate to humanitarian missions all around the world and to being here in Bali. So I'm very excited. Kevin, welcome. Great. Thanks for, me, for having me here. I just always like to start with the backstory. Can you describe a little bit uh, where do you grow up and how was your upbringing? Sure. I grew up in the Midwest of the United States in St. Louis and, uh, you know, pretty much, you know, middle class and, uh, you know, had a paper out just like most of us did as kids and uh, just, you know, went to high school, went and went to college and, you know, just had sort of a, you know, Midwestern life, um, pretty um, beautiful ethics and values and so forth. So it was really, from that perspective, it was really nice. Um, also, I also had experienced uh, one of my siblings passing away, so that was also a very big challenge for our family. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, a lot of diversity growing up in that way. I see. Um, and then after you finished university, is that where you went to the Navy? Yeah, well, no, it was actually uh, after high school. Okay. Yeah, I had a number of my friends who had gone, and most of them just went and partied and whatever, and, and uh, were partying in college as well. and. I thought, you know, what do I really want to do in life? And I really didn't know at that time. Um, but a long story short, was with a woman uh, in high school, sort of the high school sweetheart, and we broke up, and I just like, okay, what am I going to do? Yeah. You know, what's life about? I mean, I went 16, whatever. And I decided to go into the Navy. My grandfather, my father had done it, and I thought, you know, what a great way to see the world. So I did that and traveled around three-quarters of the world, and... After that, I came back and uh, then went to college, university. I'm always curious because I've never been in the Navy, so I know nothing about it. So I'll, <laughs> I'll ask some questions for my personal benefit. Sure. Um, what were some of the bigger lessons you took from being in this absolutely different environment from where you're originally from? Well, great question, because for me, it was a time of growing up very quickly, maturing, seeing other parts of the world. You know, being a Midwesterner, you know, just growing up in middle America, you don't really get exposure to the global environment, you know, other than what we see in media and so forth. So for me, it was really, really powerful and it was very magical. You know, you're, you're stuffed together in these small birthing compartments with like 40, 50 guys, you know, and it's like yeah. all over the country and it's like all kinds of habits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, the, you know, I went on a couple of Westpacs, which is a six-month tour that takes you um, a lot of places in the world, um, Africa and, and a number of places. And for me, it was really a powerful experience of growing up, you know, to see all these cultures and to meet all of these people and uh, the diversity, which uh, for me was, was just monumental. You know, they say, you know, go into the military, the Navy, whatever, and see the world. And I literally did. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it was very, very powerful. Yeah. What, what did you do? Like, what was your profession? I was a uh, radio man. Um, so I did worked with communications. I had a top secret security clearance. And, uh, you know, for me, it was um, basically we dealt with a lot of communications, computers. You know, we were the ones that were messaging back and forth to whether it's through uh, shore to shore, ship to ship and so forth. So I was basically the one that um, had all of the messages incoming and out even before the old man, which who we call the captain. Yeah. So it was really kind of fun awesome. yeah, from that perspective, yeah. And then when you left the Navy, I guess there was a choice to continue doing that, as I understand, and, or go to university. Why did you decide to yeah, stop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a time um, I finished one of my Westpacs. I came back, lived in Hawaii, had my son. Um, he was born. And I was working for Comnav Surf Group Midpack, the commander of the Naval uh, Surface Group in uh, Hawaii. And it was coming to the end of my tour, and I worked with uh, basically with the admiral and his staff. And uh, they said, "We really want you to stay in." That's like, 
okay, let me think about it. And they brought me this big, long sheet. It had all the billets, all the different jobs that I could do around the world. And they said, we're going to pay you money as well. I said, no, I want to go home. So I went back to Missouri. Um, and there were there were several reasons for that. Um, there were things that I saw towards the end. It's like, this is really not the life for me. Um, it was wonderful for the four years that I did it, but it was time to, to do something new. Wow. Yeah. And what major did you took in university then? Uh, in university, I majored in uh, international finance and marketing is what I had my multitude of two degrees in. And um, that to me was, you know, I was working full time. I was also a VA counselor for the veterans at school, carrying a full load, uh, you know, a wife and a son. So yeah. it was another one of those magical times and, you know, sometimes challenging. <laughs> yeah. So that the choice of this major, was it related to just being able to support your family in the future or is it something that you had passion with? Yeah, for me, college was sort of the next step. You know, I really wanted to um, be in the world as, as best as I knew how and college seemed to be the right thing. And for me, having a, you know, having a family, I wanted to provide the best that I knew how. Yeah. Um, you know, when I came out, you know, you really have to start all over again. And so for me, it was really about uh, sort of looking into the future and taking care of a family and, and providing a new future. Awesome. Yeah. And then you went to the corporate world. Yes. Yeah. Went into the corporate world of finance and, uh, you know, I first started off at Boatman's Trust in St. Louis, Missouri before, um, it was actually Boatman's Trust and then it turned into Santerre. And then, um, I did that for about a year and a half in St. Louis, you know, managing, um, uh, basically retirement plans, companies, corporations. And then I ended up going to Chicago, Illinois, doing the same thing for about Mm, about another seven years uh, for about a billion dollars worth of corporate clients wow. traveling the country and uh, making sure everything's being taken care of and I did pretty much everything from administration to actually uh, investing as well and how did that feel what that felt right to you that's something that you aligned with or yeah yeah it was sort of again the next step you know it kind of provided and it showed itself and again, in the beginning, it was really great. It was exciting. You know, I was learning something totally new and I was playing with a billion dollars. And, yeah. you know, so that was kind of exciting and scary at the same time. And uh, I had a lot of staff around me. So it was really, uh, really good time. And I was also at a time in the early 70s, basically when the economies were kind of, ri you know, kind of rocky and so forth. And the retirement plans literally took off then. Yeah. So it was really wow. a good time for me. So when some people are struggling, gas wars and all of that. I'm given carte blanche, do whatever you want to do. It's like, great. So Beautiful. sort of fell into it and kind of came out smelling like a rose. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I did a little bit of research, so correct me if the timeline I'm correct or not, but then at some point you decided to go to humanitarian missions from it. Was that, is there something in between or is that like a yeah. move? Yeah, um, after the corporate world, I left, I left that. And, um, and the way that I left was through my first experience of sort of awakening. Um, and I left the corporate world as a result. And I went, it was a long story, but I ended up in Sedona, Arizona. And it really started me on a whole new trajectory of the spiritual world, if you want to call it that. I mean, yeah. for me, everything's spiritual, you know. So, But for me, it was where it really sort of honed my focus on that and began to realize that um, there was something bigger than just the nine to five job success because I had it all. Yeah. I had money, I had the job, um, I was in the inner circle, you know, we were, you know, whining and dining and, you know, no money was the limit and all of that. But it came that time that uh, it just didn't mean much. And I was grateful that I did it. It was a wonderful learning experience. And then I had my first experience that kind of woke me up. Is there something you can talk about, the experience itself? Because I think people will not forgive me. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's a piece missing that people will be like, and I tell you, you should ask. Yeah, absolutely. When I was in the corporate world, you know, I came to that point where I knew this wasn't it. I was grateful that I did it. It was a beautiful experience. And basically, I was doing yoga, meditation, and acupuncture uh, because I thought these would be avenues for me to sort of come out of this world and, you know, sort of find this sense of peace and balance. And when I was doing the, uh, the yoga, uh, for the first time in my life, I felt a sense of peace I had never known, and I simply wanted more. And then after that, um, you know, I was also doing acupuncture, and she was a friend of mine. She says, Kevin, you're going to start feeling things. I said, yeah, okay, whatever. I manage a billion dollars worth of clients. I have everything I ever wanted. Da, da, da. 
And about two weeks later, I'm in my living room floor in a fetal position, sobbing like a child. I had wow. no idea what she'd done to me. So I listened to what she had said. She said, allow it to happen. So I did. I, lie, I laid there on the floor for about 45 minutes, catharting and in this fetal position. And all of a sudden, it ended. And then there came this silence, which I'm very familiar with now. And I very clearly got my message, what I needed to hear at that moment. That literally sort of sent me on my new new journey. Wow. Yeah. What happened in your head when you started uh, sobbing in a fetal position? Was there a precursor <laughs> to that? I assume it's not like you woke up and... You know, yeah, it was the yoga, the meditation, and acupuncture. Those three things really started a journey for me to go inward. And when I'm lying on the floor, I'll share a little bit more. Uh, after I came out of it, I, I came into this state of silence, you know, the catharsis. I had no, well, let me take a step back. I had some sense of what it was about. Um, I had a son, I still have a son, beautiful son, that my ex wouldn't let me see and on and on. And it was Christmas time. And, and so it was really devastating for me because I wanted to be with him. And so I thought it was about him. You know, I was just grieving over my son and part of it was. And then at the very end, when I say, I shared that I went into this silence the message that I got was, I want my mommy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I'm a grown man. What do you mean? I want my mommy. So it really started me on an inner journey of healing inner child for myself. Um, is really kind of how that got started. Um, so those are sort of the things that were happening to me at the time. And, you know, after that, that next morning, I could not get out of my bed for seven days. Wow. Physically could not stand up. Had no idea, no temperature, nothing. There was no ailment. I was reading Merton Moore Huxley and a lot of the mystics, about four books at one time. And that morning, I'll never forget it. I could literally see and feel the prana feeding every cell in my body. And it was this state of ecstasy, peace. So I knew that I wasn't dying. And it lasted for seven days. And after the seventh day, a friend of mine said, you got to get out of here you have to go somewhere quiet and kind of chill out. So I said, yeah, okay. And then I ended up in, I uh, was headed towards Tucson, Arizona. And uh, long story short, I didn't make it to Tucson. I ended up in Sedona, Arizona, which is a whole nother magical experience. And it's what really sort of set me on the tr new trajectory. What was so special about Sedona? I hear a lot of people go there. It's called like a vortex, same yeah. as you call Bali and a couple other places. Yeah. So what was so special about Sedona for you? Um, Sedona is a really magical place. As you mentioned, there are these mystical um, vortices that are there, and there's five of them that it was, it was basically, they were basically coined by a woman by, by the name of Lane Bryant, who came out of Scottsdale in the 60s, and she sort of sat and channeled these vortices. So it's really magical when I got there, and I, you know, I was kind of skeptical. I came out of the corporate world, very left brain, and and the people are talking about, oh, you know, vortexes and you can feel it. I'm like, okay, whatever. But I still had an open mind after I just had this experience. So a friend of mine, um, we knew of what was called the Sedona Healing Center. And Jean-Paul had this dome. And, and uh, so let's go see. So we went to visit him in his uh, retreat center. And I'll never forget, we went in and we started talking to him. And, and he had an upstairs. And he said, what I want you to do, one by one, I want you to go upstairs and I want you to tell me where you feel a field of energy. It's like, okay, I was a radium and I know what electromagnetic energy does. It makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I can feel my heart, you know, sort of palpitating. And I went up first and it's about 1200 square feet and I walked around and all of a sudden in this one spot, I could literally just feel my heart and, my, and the hair stand up on the back, back wow. of my neck. And I was like, okay. So unbeknownst to my friend, she didn't know where I stopped. So I came down the stairs, she went up, did the same thing exact same spot. Wow. So in that moment, I really gave it credence and I started to believe. I was like, yeah, okay. Because I had never experienced it before. And that's really the key element um, is experiencing. We can talk about these things as much as we want. It's when you really touch it. It really changes your world. So I guess then a lot of people listening, they, most of them probably did not experience anything like that. But since they're listening to this episode, I'm sure they're curious. Sure. So for people who would like to experience something of that sort, um, mm -hmm. how could they do it? You know, I get this question a lot and, and with people that I work with, and the most important thing is just to prepare the ground. And what I mean by that is it could be a workshop, it could be a wisdom figure, 
it's something that calls you towards it. Okay. And, you know, so like, let's say, for instance, you have a workshop, something that's calling you. And oftentimes it's something like, well, this is really kind of strange. I'm, I'm being called to do this. That's sort of that essence, which I refer to as the soul, which is guiding us. And I really tell people to, it can be a word, a color, a phrase as well, that you really have some feeling attachment to it. And it's out of the norm. It's that sort of a feeling is, is to follow it. But, you know, when I left and when I share with a lot of people when they leave, whether it's a corporate environment or work, most people are afraid. I was too. I had no clue what I was going to do. And the, one of the beautiful things is, is, is when we start beginning to listen to our inner voice, our inner tuition, we're guided. We're always guided. I guess the follow-up question then, it's pretty hard to listen to your inner voice, otherwise everybody would. I mean, maybe for you it's not, but for people who are uh, busy in their everyday lives, it's hard. So what would be some of the approaches to start listening to yourself and get your intuition? Yeah, listening to yourself. And um, the other thing is, start practicing mindfulness. That can be meditation, it can be breath work, and these are all simple things you can do to get started. Um, reading some beautiful books, you know, there's so many out there, The Power of Now, The Celestine Prophecy, there are many, many books, you know, that you can just pick up, or uh, Mate, the Ebor Mate, uh, the psychologist that's speaking a lot right now, um, has a lot of really good information as well about a lot of this. Um, but it's really about, for me, it's the first step, like I did, like I said, it was yoga, meditation, and acupuncture. Do something different than what you've been doing, okay? And do something that's more related to this sense of peace or mindfulness that actually begins to slow you down. Because oftentimes when we're so busy, this is what we're taught. Yeah. Be that rat in the cage running in the, the squirrel cage. And when you begin to slow down, things start to happen. You're more aware of things around you. You know, really easy thing to do for somebody that's just beginning. Go find a place in your house, your apartment, whatever it is, that you feel some sense of calmness or peace or it's a we call it a power place is go find that place and sit down five minutes a day with no intention other than to sit and to be quiet to make a conscious effort that's also kind of how i got started was just very simply and things just began to happen i really like that because there's a lot of people when when you read about things a lot of people impose some big frameworks that for somebody (laughs) would be very overwhelming some some would say go sit and don't think for 20 minutes but like I can't. Yeah. <laughs> so you fail before when starting. Sure. And I, I've been reading those books and some recommend missing meditation. So I'm trying, but I don't even understand what they say. Yeah. So there's lots of levels and you need to yeah. up, ascend to those levels as you go. What, what I do is just I would sit and I have thoughts, but I don't care about it. I intentionally sit here and I spend this time. And at some point I realized that, yeah, the less and less thoughts are happening because I keep on doing this. Yeah. But, yeah, but just saying, okay, go and do those, let's say, go and watch yoga video and do like advanced yoga. Yeah, like you said, it was a really important point you made that oftentimes in the beginning, we set ourselves up for failure. Yeah. Okay? And we go down the rabbit hole again. See, I couldn't do it. Da, 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 da. So again, it's keep it simple. And what I would recommend to people that come to me, what I do recommend actually, a lot of times is do that five minutes and do breath work. And what I mean by that is follow your breath. Don't do, any, don't do anything else. You don't need to do mudras with your fingers on your nostrils and all of these things. And don't get me wrong, those are also powerful. But for people who are just taking that beginning step, is sit down for five minutes, follow your breath. I guarantee you there are going to be thoughts. And the key is when that thought comes in, acknowledge it, thank you, come right back to your breath. You do that for five minutes a day for 30 days, your, your life is going to begin to change, even before then. And when you become more comfortable with it, you can extend, you know, five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, you know, and that's a great way to get started. Yeah. A lot of people might also, including myself probably, don't get like what this end state is. What, what are we trying to strive for? So maybe can you describe when you continue doing those practices, mm-hmm. what is the end result? Well, that's the ego. We want a reward. What's the end result? You know, I think it was, um, I forget which one of the masters said it. He was asked the same question. You know, what do I get from it? I get peace. I get joy. I get all of these things. And it's not really about the destination because that's, again, based on we're only valuable if we're productive. Okay, it's a mindset. 
where the mindset that I'm asking people to open to is this sense of I am enough just as I am, yeah. regardless of what I do. So to sit for five minutes and just follow your breath, see what happens. And as you mentioned, that there begins to come this silence and your mind begins to quiet. It took me 32 days. I'll remember to the day. It was 32 days of doing that. And that's when the first time I really felt this sense of peace. Um, and uh, it, it just begins to happen. Because what happens is, as you mentioned, we talked a little bit about the ego has this sense it has to get somewhere to do something. And the ego is not bad, okay? It just needs to be reintegrated in a different way because you can't get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it just starts simple, breath work. Once you start to quiet the mind, the mind, then all of a sudden other information will come in. And almost without a doubt, it is usually something for your higher good, for a higher state of peace, of understanding, wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. I found that when I started and I do meditation, actually, I don't know if I meditate or not, because I wake up, I sit in the position right mm -hmm. away automatically, and then in an hour, I'm like, wow, what happened? Where did the time go? Yeah. So whether I sleep or I meditate, I don't know yet, but I yeah. intentionally do that, so I'll call it a meditation. And, yeah. I, and I found out that I really start getting messages that are clear. Mm -hmm. And if I just follow them without sort of any doubt, then better things happen. Yeah. Is that something that you experience as well? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, that's what happens. We then start to connect with more of our authentic self, not one that's been learned, programmed, you know, that we've learned generationally. Because most of us carry patterns of behavior generationally. And yeah. it's just basically what it is, in a nutshell. And once you start stepping out of that and into this place of quiet, as you're mentioning, these messages come. And they're more authentic to your own uniqueness and as you step into that uniqueness, then you really begin to understand who you are. Yeah, because ultimately we're a spiritual being having a human experience, but that's another conversation probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I listened to your podcast, and I'm going to jumping around here. We'll sure, get back yeah, to yeah. your story. Sure. But since we start talking about that, I listened to your podcast, I don't know, I love the name, uh, mm -hmm. with our friend Sim, who was also on a podcast before. Amazing podcast. Please guys check it out. Mm -hmm. uh, and you guys talk about New World. Oh, the new world, yes. Yeah, that's a term I yeah, keep yeah. on hearing. So what does new world means to you? Well, it means a few things. Um, the new world is heaven on earth. We, let me take a step back. Being of Native American heritage myself, one of the beliefs that we have is we're in the fifth world. We've entered into the four worlds pre previously that we've literally destroyed for one reason or another. And we're being given an opportunity to awaken. Awakening simply means our connection to the four elements, to Mother Earth, to one another, a collective consciousness, not just an individual. Um, so it's really a process of what some people refer to awakening, um, the new earth. And awakening is simply meaning each of us, the best we can, open to that new part of us that finds a balance, first within ourselves, then within our communities, then within the world. And I can tell you, yeah, you know, what, what is this new world? To me, I was shown 10 years ago what was going to happen in 2020 to 2025. It's right on track. It's right on track. And part of it is, in our Native American culture, we know this as the clearing, the purification. Okay? What does that mean? It means that there will be those who will be leaving soon, the planet, in a very large scale. And it's not because it's the end of the world. It's because it's the beginning of the new world. We're given another opportunity to really connect to our hearts, to speak our truth, and to be in unison with Mother Nature because we're really out of balance. Even parts of Bali is really out of balance. Everywhere I go, and this is sort of another topic that I share, is about how Mother Nature has sent me to different parts of the world to help find balance. Yeah, I'll definitely get back to balance, but yeah. unpacking a little bit what you said, um, First of all, I guess I have to ask, a lot of people leaving, what, what does that look like? Is that like some catastrophic event? Or is that just people? Well, let me, let me also add something to that. Because when I say that a number of, large number of people are going to be leaving, it's also an opportunity. Well, I don't want to go there because that's a much longer conversation. I was shown 10 years ago by particular 
federation that's not of this world. And I've had many of these experiences. And prior to 10 years ago, if any of, if you would have told me that I would have had these experiences, I would have said you were nuts. Yeah. Um, but I was literally sat in front of a council and um, they basically told me what was going to happen. They told me who I was and what part I had in it. And then one of the other things they said was a number, uh, many people are going to be leaving the planet. Okay. It's all part of it. And the way I wish it was shared with me is there are two forms of service, service to self, which is one of the highest forms of service because you're literally service to creation. Yeah. Okay? And the other is service to others. Okay. So these people who will be leaving, some unconscious to them, some will understand why they're leaving so that they're releasing the field of energy of love to the rest who are willing to shift this planet. Because what happens here on planet Earth actually reverberates into the universe. So it's really very powerful. And there's lots and lots of experiences have led me to this um, understanding. Um, like I said, because 10, 15 years ago, I you know I looked at you like a deer in headlights. But yeah. all of these things started happening from having these visions, having Galactic Federation of Light, Archangels, you name it. They started coming to me to, to sort of help me understand what's going to happen. And the another thing I want to say... When we talk about heaven and earth, and I think mm -hmm. that's a concept that is, I heard it many times, especially sure. uh, especially from people who have those experiences. Mm -hmm. What interests me is that we probably agree that 90% of people are still living in the programmed world. There's not, mm -hmm. there's like probably more. There's like big minority of people who understand that it's important to listen to yourself, have intuition, even even if we don't go into places where you need to connect to higher self. If we just say, just live according to your own beliefs mm -hmm. and not be programmed by, by external world. So it looks to me that without those people being able to get there, awake, we call it anyway, it wouldn't be impossible to get heaven and earth. Is that correct? And if so, the numbers are not in our favor. You know, when we talk about heaven and earth and the number of people who understand it, everything has its place. Even those who aren't, I don't wanna, I hate to use the word awakening because it sort of, it, it insinuates this better than or something. And it's really not. It's more of about an expansion of understanding. Okay. Yeah. And if, as I believe, and these are my beliefs, if we are all connected to source, okay, well, you can call it whatever you want, God, but it doesn't matter. To me, if we're all connected to source, we've been given this beautiful spacesuit, this beautiful body to experience this world, okay? And if we were to leave, and, and for me, if I were asked, if it was part of my journey, I would give freely because I've been on the other side. I've had near death. I know what's there with every cell of my body. I don't doubt it. And so for those people, again, there's much more than just this egocentric or human-centric that who I am and what I do is what's valuable. It is on some level. But when you start entering into the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh dimensions, it's very different. And what it does is it brings you back full circle to see what you have and do with a new set of eyes with an eyes, this, this sense of non-attachment, that it's a gift given. So I don't know if I've kind of deviated from your original question, but, and the only way I can share this is, is my own, or my own experience is that I could not know what I know unless it happened to me or through me. Until I had that near-death experience and I was in the light and of the light and I saw myself and all of these things, I could talk about it until I was purple. But once I experienced it, it became a part of my remembrance, okay? And because most of us think it's a miracle, it's really not. <laughs> we see it as a miracle because, you know, we're, we're such in a 3D world that this is so unusual, but when we start entering these other dimensions, these other states, and through mindfulness, we see the wholeness. Yeah. We talked to actually several people about dimension. There are different dimensions. And uh, I just want to put myself in the place of somebody who listens. Mm -hmm. And the argument that they would put is, 
I don't know, Kevin. You're talking about dimensions, but I never seen any dimensions. I yeah. I can only perceive what I see. I try meditating, but I would never go to any dimensions. So, yeah. how would you? What would I do to believe? And how could I believe you if there's I, I don't have any evidence for myself mm-hmm. uh, to be there? Yeah. First thing is, most of us believe we live in a box. Let that concept go. We never had a box. We never had to go outside the box. All we have to do is begin the steps. You know, like we talked about mindfulness and start and allow, allow your mind to open to something greater. And this is wonderful because a lot of people come to me and they're skeptics. And I love it because they're usually the ones that have the biggest aha moment. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't believe this. I'm a doctor. I only believe in empirical. And, and what I normally do with people is I'll sit them down and I'll ask them a few questions. Remember in your life when something happened you couldn't explain? What was it? And I tell you, every single human being starts telling me stories, and all of a sudden they go, oh my God, that really is kind of magical, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) See, it's really about a mind shift, okay? And again, prepare the ground. Do your meditation. Do something different than what you were doing. Um, That's how it all begins. Yeah. I think it's understanding that what you see is not all of it. Absolutely. And I think we are conditioned to only, I guess, science, we're like, we have very scientific thinking, and science is imperfect in so many ways. So if we cannot touch something, or if feeling for us is not something tangible. Mm -hmm. So when we feel something, we'll be like, okay, this is just a feeling, and we just push it away. But it's a table, the table is real. Well, maybe the table is as real as a feeling. Sure. yeah. yeah, it's really powerful because what you're saying is what we feel and sense, like when you're talking about this table, it is just energy slowed down to a level that it becomes dense, okay? Yeah. Now, just on the opposite side, that if you begin to believe and open to the fact that there are other things other than I do understand, it's like I said, 15 years ago, if you'd have told me, I would have looked at you like I was a deer in headlights. Yeah. I would say, yes, from my mental state, I hear what you're saying, but I don't understand and um, so, yeah, it's just a, about allowing that to begin. So, yeah, and it's really a simple process. We as human beings complicate it because we think we got to do a million things to get there. And the beautiful thing is it's already in us. It's just yeah. a matter of discovering it or rediscovering it. So, and it's a matter of oftentimes, as we've mentioned, slow down, meditate, listen, and then the things start happening. And the other thing I share with people is, as I mentioned earlier, it can be a word, a color, a phrase, that calls you to it. So just follow it. Yeah. yeah. Because otherwise the mind's trying to figure it out. The mind cannot take you where you want to go. It's the emotion. And that's what I work with a lot of people is is the emotional body. Okay? Because the emotional body affects the physical body. If you're not at peace or something that has this sense of dis-ease in your body, and we call it disease, something's out of balance. Okay? And once we find that mindful state, and do whatever else we need to do, whether it's medical or whatever, those things start to change. I had this realization about a month ago. I had I have a bunch of things I do, and I was like, how do I choose which one do I need to pursue more? And the realization came, follow the heart, not follow the mind. And I think that was simple, and for people that are going to listen like this, just, well, I don't understand it. But mm-hmm. for me, it makes complete sense. What excites me, what yeah. invokes feeling, of something more pure than just like making money or mm-hmm. power or whatever, yeah. whatever other thing. Yeah, absolutely correct. Correct, um, and that's what I do. It's the feeling state. We as a human race have been taught to stuff our emotions, especially boys. You know, so have women. Big boys don't do that. Big boys don't cry. Stuff it. Push it down. Move on. That's great. Eventually, that stuffing is going to be so deep and so vast. It's got to come out somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I teach and what I do in working with people, so I work with the four bodies, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. But the emotional body, I believe, is where we are in our evolutionary process of opening, is we have to begin to touch the emotions, okay? And the emotions, to me, are the window or the gateway to the soul, okay, to that, that part of us that's connected. And it's when you feel something, when the heart energy is wrapped around it, that's when something really happens. 
and really begins to take you into this new place. So what you said, emotions, yeah. Now, if you're extremely out of balance in your emotion, then you might need to seek help, yeah. okay? But for most of us, when we begin to feel deep emotion or catharsis, we're frightened because we don't know how to navigate that. <laughs> yeah. Because the first time when I was lying on that floor just sobbing like a child, I was terrified, primally terrified. Because I saw my mother in a psychiatric ward for most of her life due to my, my brother's death. Yeah. So I figured, hell, I'm next. But what I realized in that moment, my mother didn't have the tools or people around her to help her process that. Yeah. So, and back then, back in the f late 50s, 60s, whatever it was, it was just pure medication, you know. So that was their way of dealing with it. I yeah. also found this correlation maybe i'm actually curious what, what are your thoughts on this mm -hmm. the older i become the more programming comes to my mind and the more dull my emotions are so i would i remember how i would feel happiness when i was 15 i'll be just sure. like wow it's so good <laughs> everything is amazing same thing yeah. will happen today would be just like yeah pretty good pretty mm -hmm. good and i think that's a problem yeah it is and where that really stems to and the work i do is called the inner child um, John Bradshaw, he sort of coined the phrase and really took us pretty deep in that in the 60s and, and later. And for me, when I was lying on the floor, I said, I want my mommy. That's what started my inner child work, was to really look at those aspects of myself, the little boy that was not at peace. Okay, Because for most of us, I'll never forget this. I had a teacher once. I still do. He's, he's 95 years old. And he said that um, most of us function at the age of a nine or a 10 year old emotionally. We don't know how. We can navigate in the world, we have these beautiful personas, we know how to do what we need to do, but the feeling state, totally different world. Yeah. Yeah. So we are taught how to, how to be smarter, but we mm -hmm. didn't taught how to be more emotionally. Yeah, balanced. Balanced. Yeah. And um, that's what I do when I'm working with people with the inner child. There's usually, not usually, there's always a catharsis. There's always some sense of release. And in that release, there comes a peace. And there are exercises I give people, like for instance, you know, when something happens like that, I'll give them an exercise right before you go to sleep for seven days. I want you to reconnect with the inner child right before you go to sleep. Because the window of energy between our awakened state and the sleep state, there's this window of mystical energy that when we reconnect with the inner child, we hold them, we give them, we listen to them, because ultimately for most of us, what we really want is to be loved. Under all of the pain and suffering we actually have, my belief is we're hurting because something wasn't met inside of us. So as a young child, we interpret that as pain. Yeah. And it's very simple. So yeah, and um, I give people a number of exercises, you know, when they go to sleep or things to do to sort of reintegrate that inner child into the adult. And it's magical what happens. Awesome. Yeah. The one thing I promised to return back to is balance. And for mm -hmm. me, that's like a topic of my, uh, my conversation with myself on a daily <laughs> basis. And yeah. I'm not alone. I think most of us, like I'm, I'm gonna speak for myself, I mostly operate in the fact of I have highs and lows, highs and lows, highs and lows. I'm constantly either super happy or super stressed out. And I find that happiness, to me, mm -hmm. fully happiness is to be floating somewhere in the middle where you're experiencing both at the same time, but you're not attached to them. Mm -hmm. uh, at least to me, that's balance. Yeah. Uh, but in practice, even though I meditate and I do different sports and all kinds of things, mm -hmm. try to work less, sure. I still struggle because as soon as something, um, and my life is happening, a lot of things happening every day, sure. so as soon as something happens, I'm going out of balance and it results in like bad food mm -hmm. and then results in some relationship to kids, maybe I'm like more aggressive, I don't know, sure. all, all those kinds of things. So. I assume I'm not the only one. And what would be some of the methods yeah. to get to the balanced state and live a balanced life? First is mindset. See, because what you're sharing is you see all of this at extremes. Most of us do. We're either out of balance or we're in balance or we're way out here, way out there. What if that's part of the process to be accepting that that is part of 
the learning. It's part of the journey. Again, otherwise we're striving so hard to get to an end goal. We oftentimes forget what's happening along the way. So finding balance. Bali is a beautiful place for that. That's what this is all about. They worship the light and the dark equally. It's balance. Yeah. And again, as you mentioned, when you're, when you're out of balance, you know, and you're doing something at one end of the extreme, first is to become aware of it and then to come back. See, because one of the things I've learned in, in working with many people and, and my, own, my own self is that when we first start, those extremes are really big. And really in a very short period of time, when we become first and foremost aware of the imbalance, see, that's key, that's number one. I need to be aware that something is out of balance. Because okay? otherwise we just stay in this psychological, you know, what I call, used to call push-pull. Yeah. And then you eventually find what I refer to as the ebb and the flow. You're going to be out of balance sometimes. It's yeah. part of being human. Yeah, yeah, for Welcome. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sure. but it's when you're first, you become aware that I'm really out of balance, something's off here, is then to seek the other a way of finding some sense of balance. You know, like if you're working a lot and you're driving, you're driving really hard and you're striving and so forth and you're ne neglecting your family, first thing is become aware of it. I see this. The next question is, how do I begin to find some sense of balance within all of this? Doesn't mean you're going to find that beautiful, calm balance in just a few days. Doesn't work that way. Yeah. Unless it's a moment of grace. Can happen. But generally speaking, what happens is we start doing things different. We start making choices or we may go to therapy or we may go to some wisdom figure, you know, or something, or read a book to help us sort of find our way through it. But awareness is the first piece. And there will be times in your life, even when you're a balanced individual, that you have out of balance. It's part of it. It's part of being human. But as you mentioned, as you learn it, the extremes aren't here. They're here. Yeah. You know, they're just a few inches apart as opposed to, you know, arm's length away. So that's really the key is awareness and then just start working towards. The other thing I'll share is oftentimes when we're doing something new, we don't know how to get started. I suggest someone hold an affirmation, a prayer, whatever it is, a mantra. Please show me balance. Whoever, whatever you believe in, maybe nothing which is okay. Please help me find balance. And then just open to the experiences that start happening. I promise you, something will start happening. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, the other, I would call it controversial topic, mm -hmm. uh, in the world of spirituality is the relationship between spirituality and religion. Yeah. So I'm curious your take on that. You know, I grew up Catholic. Um, Native American, but uh, Catholic, most of all. And then I studied uh, uh, Buddhism for a number of years. And then uh, I worked with my teacher, uh, Swami Buddhananda, in the Vedas. And it was really interesting because between spirituality and religion, let's talk about religion. The religions, if you really look at them, there are more similarities to them. Okay, the message that's being delivered. Unless you're a literalist and you just read a word, an eye for an eye, then we're all blind. Nobody's going to see. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's absurd, but some people hold that. It's extreme. But in religion, there are good things about it and there are bad things, in my opinion. And when I say good and bad, I like to refer to as life-giving or not life-giving. Okay? Like, for instance, religions, I truly believe they have a purpose and they can give people this sense of, of belonging and something greater than themselves. However, if you look at religion, who created all of the documents? Who created the philosophies? The masculine, the male, not the female. Okay? And we have negated the feminine aspect, the female aspect of creation. But this was all meant to be. And this is a whole other conversation. Um, about religion. So I believe on some level, true religion or fanaticism can literally be demonic. Yeah. Because to me, look at the Middle East or look at religions or philosophies that say that a woman is second to me. When did any, any great avatar tell you that? No one. Yeah. So from that perspective, religions have a beauty to them and they also have a dysfunction to them. Spirituality 
encompasses everything. Everything you do is spiritual. I don't care what you call it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but spirituality, what I, my philosophy is I follow my heart. I follow that feeling state, that life-giving aspect. But again, religions have a purpose. And, you know, eventually, when you begin to start having these experiences that I've had, religion begins to take a back seat the word religion. Yeah. And for many of us, we need structure. That's how we change. Okay, so that's also a good part of it. Um, but religion in its, as I mentioned, can be very controlling and manipulating. Yeah. You know, I, people used to tell me all the time, well, I got I left Catholicism because they got tired of the guilt, shame, and, you know, and all that other stuff, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you were pointing out that it's important to find things within you, in yourself, follow mm -hmm. your intuition. Well, whereas religion, usually, I guess some of the most popular ones, I'll put sure. it that way, uh, their way of thinking is that you should follow the guidance of somebody else and don't question it, mm -hmm. just follow it. Well, I think it contradicts to what you're saying, where it's important to follow your own intuition. Yeah. Like you said, religions have a purpose and there is good to them, okay? And ultimately, it's like Vivekananda, I believe it was Vivekananda said that, um, I don't want to take you away from your faith, deepen it. Go really, really, really deep. See what's behind the words, what the man on the pulpit or whoever is speaking, what are the words really saying? What's the intention? Because there is a vibratory force, it's called Shekinah or Shekinah, but that's another conversation, that there is a vibratory force to those words. Yeah. That's what I ask you to seek. Seek that and see what happens. That's where the magic begins to happen. So yeah. what I understand is there's a lot of good philosophical beliefs that underlying the religion as long as you yourself think about them meditate on them and uh, question them sure instead of going and following certain set of structures yeah when we literally follow something blindly we give our power away yeah. same with a guru what is the what does the guru mean teacher and if any if, if in my opinion if a guru is a good teacher that teacher teaches you to no longer need him or her yeah but for you to go into that experience on your own. And they're simply, just like I am with people with trauma and emotions and all of that, I'm simply a guide. The most beautiful thing that I can observe is a, as a human being is I give them the tools and they go way beyond me. They find that state of peace. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, I think, that what many religions are missing because they always became more like a communal way of mm -hmm. of being sort of this is our it's like corporation but yeah. on a community level when you just spend time with people which is i think it's a good thing to have community yeah. but it all always draws you back every sunday you go to church sure. every night you do this this and that so yeah. it's like it's not like i'll give you tools and then you'll be free for and then you'll be enlightened and everything will be fine no <laughs> you're gonna suffer here you're gonna yeah. do this this and that to get somewhere <laughs> yeah that's what are the what is the message that we're taught you have to suffer in order to get into heaven really yeah. If then, if it says, I'm created in the likeness and image of that which created me, how can I be anything less than whole and perfect? Yeah. There's I mean, all just contradictions everywhere. <laughs> yes, 100%. I guess another deep question is that a lot of people asking, I guess religious people, some of them know, but mm -hmm. uh, many people don't. What do you think happens after we die? What do we, I'm sorry? What do you think happens after we die? Oh, Wow. Well, I can tell you after having a near-death near experience and what science has proven that they literally see a physical field, an energetic field leaving the body at the time of death. And when you look at Hinduism, yeah, they talk about different stages over a number of days. You know, having a near-death experience, leaving my body and being in so-called you know, the light, there's no part of me that doesn't understand. And not only that, um, I've written my first book called Trust, Patience, Surrender, uh, Moments of Illumination and Grace. And I'm now writing my second book entitled C, which is really talking about past lives. And I am sharing a number of past lives, particularly at the Pyramids of Chi, that people have come in the moment we see one another. It's like, oh my God, I know you. 
And I'll give you a, a, just a real quick point that'll help somebody understand what I'm talking about. The woman that I was with when I had my near-death near experience, Laura, we had this profound relationship, okay? It was otherworldly. I saw past lives, many things happened. And I always wanted to know what she was like as a young, as a young woman, because I loved her to death. I mean, I just, she was the essence of my life in this lifetime. And I always wanted to know what she was like. This young woman walks into the pyramids of Chi and I gasp for air. This is when I know something's happening and there's truth. It says, I have very visceral things that happen to my body. And this woman walks in and she looks at me and she's just like, we're locked eyes. She goes, I know you. I said, yes, I know. I said, I know who you are. And she kind of looks at me strangely. And, and, um, and I'll share a little bit more of the story so that it kind of comes full circle. I had, in 2011, had to go to France. I had to go and retrieve a part of myself called the soul retrieval. And I did. I ended up going to France to all these train stations because this little boy, it was me, was screaming at me in the middle of my dreams and these viscera, these very vivid dreams, come and get me, come and find me, please. So a whole story around that. I ended up going to France. Everywhere I went and including Lourdes, something happened that I literally took something back. I gave myself back this power. So it brings us to this young woman. She walks in. I look at her and she looks at me like, oh my God, this is Laura. And I basically had tears in my eyes because like now I'm experiencing seeing what she was like. Okay. So we kind of had our conversation. She walked away and I said, well, let's have lunch. And a couple of days we, we came back together. And I share that story with her about I had to reclaim my inner child, my little boy. She starts crying. She said, there was only one thing in my life that I could not resolve, and it was in a past life. I left my son in a train station, oh, wow. and she looked at me and said, it was you. I said, yes, I know. You are my mother. Wow. And she said, would you forgive me? I said, I love you. I could never hate you. And in that moment, her life shifted, and she went into her soul's path. And she's helping people in such a beautiful, profound way. It's also part of what's happening. Is we are releasing one another from karma. We don't need it any longer. There's no reason for the duality. That's heaven on earth. We are now acting as an aspect of creator, creating. We don't need those painful, good, bad. Even love has an opposite. Yeah. What we ultimately seek is be even, be even beyond love. But that's another topic. So, yeah. So that's kind of what begins to happen. And this has taken me 10 years to really enter into a lot of these experiences. And, you know, you asked earlier, how do you, people start doing this? Just do the next thing that's in front of you to do. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the question, what mm -hmm. happens after we die? So yeah. since there's many lives, I would assume that yeah. you reincarnate into some other lives yeah. until you have some karmic debt that you clear and then you ascend to the higher. Yeah. Then you sense there is no karma. There is no debt. It's simply an experience. You know, one of the things that I believe, um, based on what I understand now, is that we do. We come back time and time again. We come back as a mother, the father, the daughter, so that we can experience the wholeness of this dimensionality. Okay? And then we graduate. We've experienced it all. We understand it all. And now, what next? Yeah. Then you ascend into a different, I mean, look at all the great avatars. They ascended, okay? They went somewhere else. And I believe that there are some of us destined to do that. And it's like at the time, sort of a biblical, you know, at the time of Jesus, you know, why didn't his message travel the world? We didn't have social media. Yeah. And they said, it was written, it will come 2,500 years later. We have social media. We can instantaneously connect with one another. AI, all this stuff is all part of this development. So yeah, it's magical. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's yeah, that's amazing. Let's talk about Bali. You're in Bali. Mm -hmm. What what drew you to Bali? Um, creator. That inner voice. Um, I was in Sedona, Arizona. I had a beautiful million dollar house. I had horses. I had life to die for. Once again. But I felt that dynamic tension. I wasn't at peace. And I thought, oh no. Not again. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what happened, I kept getting the message in various ways, go to Bali, 
It's like, oh, come on. I've been all over the world. I've been to a lot of these countries. I got to leave all of this. And I ignored it. And my horse fell on me. Absolute fluke. One in a billion. And I literally, the right side of my body is, is broken and damaged, severe whiplash, brain trauma. He literally landed on top of me. Didn't even wow. see it coming. Wow. So I literally, after three to three trips to the ER, because I couldn't get rid of the pain in, the, in my head. It was so severe. Um, I decided I'm going to meditate into the pain. What do you want? What do you want from me? It's very clear. Go to Bali. I said, okay, I'll go. The moment I said that, I started healing. Because, and when I say when I started healing, I had broken bones. And I went in, and they did all the things they did, cast it, whatever. Weeks later, I come back, it's supposed to be healed. The doctor looked at me and said, I don't know what's going on. You're not, you haven't even begun to heal your body. And I knew in that moment, why? Because I was not doing what I was being asked to do. And the moment I said yes, I literally went back a week later and the doctor just hit the floor. You're healed and we can't even see where it's been repaired. So I knew in that moment I had to go to Bali. It was my next home. So that's how I met Peter and Lynn. It's a whole other mystical, magical experience um, to portals and you know, rays of light, all sorts of things that I was shown um, and, and how I got there. Um, so, yeah. And for people who are listening, Peter, Peter McIntosh, we actually just released podcast yeah. with him today <laughs> uh, while we're recording that. So, Good. yeah, you guys yeah. check it out as well. Amazing story. Yeah. And then you started doing sound healing. Yeah. You know, after being here for three months, I met one of the kings. He was in the van when I landed, and he says, I know who you are. You're going to be a part of my family. I'm like, you okay? What does that mean? So I'm with him for three months. He's showing me all of the properties, the hotels, and everything he owns. He says, you're going to oversee this because I'm going to die. I said, if you think I came here to open hotels, you're nuts. I don't care what you offer me. Yeah. I will not accept it. So after three months, I basically said to creation, up yours. If you brought me here to build hotels, bring me home. <laughs> I said, if not, show me why I'm here. All of a sudden, my phone is broken. Peter's phone is broken, and we both at Bintown. He stands and looks at me. He's been on this mystical journey for quite a, quite a while as well. And he looks at me and goes, okay, mate, what's your story? And I said, I'm here to help people wake up, I'm here to you know do retreats. And he goes, oh, my God, you got to come to my center, take a look, see what you think, and that kind of a thing. So the moment I... The next day I went and uh, went to the Pyramids of Chi before it was built. And they had the restaurant built, but the pyramids weren't, weren't there. And, and I have literally blown open three times in my life where I see the future and I can see the dimensions. I can feel them. And the moment I stepped on his property, I blew wide open and I saw what it was. It's a portal. It's one of the places of ascension on planet Earth. There are many of them around on Mother Earth. And I shared it with him and he started to share his story. He goes, well you know how we found this place and the number 22 and all of that. And if yeah. someone listens to his podcast, I'm sure he shared that. These are the synchronicities. It's all we have to follow. Yeah, so it was really pretty magical. And that's how I ended up there. And and I was self-taught. You know, the sound healing, most of the things I've done in my life are self-taught a lot of times. It's just a feeling, a calling. I just started doing it. I went in at 5 o'clock in the morning after the pyramids were, were built and just started playing, feeling, and watched several people who were sort of called masters and and took a class or two or whatever and then the rest i just allowed to happen so yeah the sound healing well yeah it's a beautiful place very yeah. special and yeah the energy you feel the energy as soon as you walk yeah. in it's yeah no it's question very powerful the last section here i have on the podcast called rapid fire questions you don't mm -hmm. necessarily have to answer in a short form with like same questions i ask every guest okay sure and the first question is what are some routines that help you to get into focus and keep working on your mission okay um again as i mentioned just uh, mindfulness um listen to those things that are calling you whether it be a workshop whatever it is just listen to it if something comes into your periphery and it's like hmm, i'm really interested i'm not i'm not really sure why just go follow it How, what do you do in the morning like when you wake up what do up? i do in the morning you know i used to formally meditate every day i don't meditate anymore i don't do yoga anymore um, I do parts of it, like some sometime during the day or if I'm doing a workout, I'll do particular movements or stretches based on what feels right, okay? I don't do a formal practice of any sort anymore. But if 
if you were to ask that, as you're asking that question, I would ask people to find a routine, find something that um, that speaks to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I, when I wake up, I usually lie in bed and I um, sort of go into this quiet state out of gratitude, and um, you know, and just kind of let it go from there. Yeah. Awesome. The other question is, we talked a little bit about it, but maybe some that we didn't cover yet. Uh, what were some of the beliefs that you used to hold? It could be, I don't know, five minutes ago, last year, 10 years ago, you can choose a time frame mm-hmm. that you don't hold anymore. I used to believe that I had to know what was next. And I've now come to a, a point or a level of understanding that the more I know, the less I know. And that... I simply, there are two things that I share all the time. One is when I feel the energy and the presence of love. It's a vibratory force. And once you, and we all know love. Our heart, our chest get warm, you know, this warm and fuzzy feeling. When I feel that, I meet it. Okay? And the other is when I feel some sense of dis, dis-ease, discomfort, I also have to meet it. What is there that's not in resonance and those are really the only two things that i really adhere to anymore um i don't read books you know i very rarely listen to speakers and every once in a while i did i do because i did tons of that all of that where now it's just simply the thing that's really changed for me the most is trust and simply surrender and see what happens wow very good um, if you could meet any person, alive or dead, have a conversation with them, who would that be and what would you talk about? Wow. <laughs> God, who would, who would I? Wow. Who would it be? It's funny you ask that because there were musicians over my life and people that I wanted to sit and meet with, like Sting was one of them. I wanted to sit with him and just chat, just hang, you know? Those who have passed in the I don't think there really is. For me, that's more about entering into each moment to see what's there. Yeah, I don't think it's really a a person or, um, you know, and maybe I'll think of something later, but at the moment. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's well, that's. I know you don't read a lot now, as you said, but mm-hmm. uh, you read a lot before. So yeah. in your journey, which book or books have influenced you the most? Well, whew. some of Osho's books were really powerful. Merton, Moore. Um, yeah, a lot of Osho's. When I was really going through my deepest transformational process, he really shed a lot of light. Um, also, uh, Robert uh, Asagioli, who is a psychotherapist out of Italy, he's long gone, and he actually re- they created a school of light. Basically, you know, all of this. He he was the first one that I read that described everything that happened to me because nobody could tell me, nobody could tell me exactly what had happened and what I was experiencing. And when I read his work and Osho's work, they were they both described it. So it was really powerful. For some simple books that I started on is The Power of Now. Uh, the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, Celestine Prophecy. A lot of these books begin to allow you to look at things in a different way. And that's the key, is to get out of that mindset that we see something, what I call myopically. Yeah. Okay? It begins to open us to see panoramically. So those kinds of books. And again, something will call you. You know, just like a good bottle of wine, you see a beautiful label. Ah, I like that label for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, that's a <laughs> good know, way to. That's yeah, a good way to so drink. Like you're, if you're in a bookshop or you're looking on the internet and something really draws you in, see what it says. See what's there. That's what I do these days. Uh, I yeah. used to just research a lot, yeah. and I realized again after that realization, it should come from the heart. Yeah. So just go into a bookstore. And I think with how mind works, you feel something, you want to get it, and then you start analyzing. So yep. I would say, oh, th- that's a book, cool book. I, I should get that. And like, mm-hmm. let me see what else is there. And then you would go with some like random stuff that you don't need. Yep. So I, I just see, okay, I came here for a reason. Somebody drove me to a bookstore. 
this is a book i'm just taking it and living right away i don't want to feel amazing books i mean yeah. i i used to go on goodreads and analyze for hours then sure. would get some random books this yeah. is like everything yeah. i buy now <laughs> me Very too nice. and you know sometimes books fall off of shelves yeah you know you never know what's gonna happen yeah so yeah yeah, yeah just start simple you know awesome a couple more questions mm-hmm. um if you would meet a younger self let's say when you were I know, student, working corporate, you can choose yeah. a time frame. What will you tell them? Yeah, I thought about this and a very clear message. Be patient and be kind to yourself. Yeah, because once we know that kindness as part of us, we can do nothing but share it in the world. Yeah. Yeah, and be easy. Be easy with yourself. It's all a journey. Awesome. Yeah. Um, the last question I usually ask is how to live a fulfilling life. How to live a fulfilling life. Enter each moment as best you can. And the way of looking at it for me is if I didn't do something, I would ask myself the question, would I regret it on my deathbed? And it was interesting because I've read a couple of times where people talk about when they're dying, what's important. Yeah. It's not the big this and that we did. It was the kindness, the love that we shared between one another are the most powerful remembrances. It's really ultimately, I think that we're here, is that ultimately. And you know, if we have lots of money and all of these beautiful things, don't be ruled by it. Yeah. Enjoy it as a gift. But yeah, it's our interaction with one another. That's what we remember. It's that touch, it's that kiss, it's whatever. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Kevin, thank you. That's yeah. all my questions. Before we go, how can people find more about you if they want to work with you? Anything you yeah. want to share? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um I have a couple of um I have a couple of websites. One is the it's center for soulful dot com. The other one with my book is uh Kevin dot com. Um and then I have uh Facebook, it's my last name Westrich. Dot 96 and uh, Instagram, it's Westrich, uh, W E S T R I C H uh, K, the letter K. We'll put it in the show notes. So, yeah, yeah, beautiful. Great. Thank you. Thank Amazing. you for having me here. Yeah, thank you for your time. It was a, I learned a lot, so it was, it was very, very cool. And for everyone listening, you guys were nowhere to find us, and I'll talk to you next one. Bye bye.